This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk,、yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And we have another guest on today. Every once in a while, you guys know we like to bring on a guest to help share and reinforce something that we believe in, or maybe bring a different perspective to things.、Um, you know, if you've been listening to recent episodes, I've kind of been on a rant lately about finding a way to just live our lives in a way that's Perfect for us, and like, what's the type of life that you want to live? And then finding a way to get this diet or this way of eating to support that. And there's really no better person who kind of also shares that message, or I've taken inspiration from, than our guest today, which is、uh, Robert Sykes, who's the Keto Savage. And、oh, he's written a book, he has a company, he's the founder of Keto Brick,、um, Live Savage Apparel, like all the things. You're like the most amazing person that、uh, we've had a chance to hang out with and, and meet. Recently. So we're excited to have you on. And mainly, I just would love to kind of talk with you and hear from you about how you live your life and, like, what I mean, just like how the decisions that you make about your food and your mindset around food kind of affect all that. So that's a huge question, but you can just say hi. And- well, well, thanks for having me. First of all, I think the world of both of y'all. So I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today.、Um, as far as the、uh, how I shape my eating tendencies around my life. Uh, I mean, honestly, for me, like when I was started getting into bodybuilding way back in 2000, I don't know, eight or nine or something like that,、uh, I just did what was the normal protocol, which was eating six or seven meals a day, lots of carbohydrates,、uh, lots of protein, relatively low dietary fat. And, you know, I do the building phases, I do the cutting phases, and I got really lean. Like I was able to get really strong and get really lean when it was time to compete. And I won the shows that I competed in. So, that wasn't necessarily wrong from a you know, physical, you know, the, the outcome was always a good outcome. But when I 
would finish the show, I would dive into this just downward spiral of psychological mayhem around the food that I was consuming. Like I would binge, I would purge, I would do all these crazy things. I would, I literally after my first show put on 24 pounds in 20 hours. Um, it was, it was just not healthy, not sustainable and not optimal. And then keto for me uh, was, was basically the the catalyst that allowed me to break free of that disordered eating tendency. And lo and behold, all my performance as a bodybuilder only benefited. I was able to get leaner than I ever had before. I was able to maintain the lean tissue I had built. And mo- most importantly, I didn't have that uh, negative downward spiral anymore with my relationship with food. So even if I hadn't continued to benefit from a bodybuilder standpoint, I probably would have continued the diet just simply for that uh, liberation when it comes to the food. Uh, so for me, you know, it's funny because Y'all have all been in the space for quite some time. I've been in the space for quite some time. We see these ebbs and flows as to mm-hmm. what the hype is around a certain nutritional protocol. And it becomes very clear with certain people uh, who's in it just for the hype, who's in it for the money, who's in it for preying on the ignorance of the consumer. And for me, like I'll be doing this diet and lifestyle long after keto's bur- bubble has burst because I believe right. in the lifestyle. Right. And it's certainly give, given me my life back. And the same is true with crystals. So it's just, it's just who we are. It's, it's part of our identity. Yeah, I think that the biggest part of it, like it's interesting because when I hear you say part of your message is seven years strict keto, not one cheat, not one binge, not one actual piece of Pizza Hut pizza, like none of it. And so people think that that's so restricting and that you've now, you're missing out on so many things in life or, you know, but I'm with you or I've heard you mention before, there's the freedom in that restriction. This is just the way that I live my life. I think too, I don't know, there's just you're not following rules that somebody else has set for you in a lot of ways, right? This is how you've made up this. This isn't the fad of keto that you're following. Um, This is really just the way that you're going to live your life now. And I love that. I think we have to find a way to make this work for our lives that we want to live. Like I still want to be in this life, not following some strict rules or um, feeling like I'm being mentally tortured every time, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like people need to understand, you know, why they're doing what they're doing and what they want to yeah. do that for in the first place. Like I'm honestly going through this big exercise with my employees right now. And, and basically what we're doing is we're, we're trying to figure out and get to the bottom of, you know, what do you want your ideal day to consist of? What do you want mm-hmm. your life to look like uh, in a perfect case scenario? And for me, a lot of that, uh, you know, relies heavily on performing at an optimal level. And I've been able to improve my performance with this dietary protocol so, yeah, I mean, I no longer have the, the negative relationship with food. I could totally tolerate a big old bolus of carbohydrates right now. I'm very insulin sensitive. My body would know what to do with it. Um, and I could probably eat that without having any you know negative psychological effects. But for me, it's it's not warranted. Like, I don't need that. I don't, I don't crave or desire that. So I just want to continue doubling down on the things that have led to my success thus far. And binging on a bunch of pizza has not really contributed to that success for me. And I I could totally relate to that. I mean, I'm an advocate of not just being restricted to a certain meat or eating a certain food for the rest of your life unless you want to eat that way. And so as I've healed, there's some days I will add some plants, but I will never really touch this really sweet plants because I know when I start tapping into insulin a lot, my energy drops, um, my ketones drop. I hate how I'm more sluggish, even though... I am more insulin sensitive than I used to be. And I don't have my food addiction issues as I used to have. But you just don't feel as good as when you're running on ketones and fatty acids. 
So I, I can see why you stay consistent. The problem I see, though, is that all of our work, a lot of it is online. And that's the blessing of us being able to reach so many people. But then the negative is when somebody follows your messaging or your recommendations and they don't either lose the weight as quickly or maybe they can't stay consistent as long, then they're looking for the next shiny thing. And there's always a next shiny thing on the internet. Mm -hmm. We know that our messaging is honest and earnest. And I'm sure a lot of the other advocates think the same thing of their message maybe. How do we keep people consistent when we know that for most people, a higher fat version of keto carnivore is ideal? But for example, this whole lean protein is coming in and it really makes people lose weight because you're eating less calories, but you're not really nourishing your body long term or is it really sustainable? How do you battle that, I guess, with especially with your clients? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one because, you know, people can lose weight on any diet. I mean, there's there's been people that have lost a ton of weight eating literally nothing but Twinkies just to prove that it can be done. Um, and Potatoes. yeah, yeah, like like people can do a lot of things. And and a lot of people are so, you know, hung up on what they can get away with in life. And I've always just rephrased that question from, you know, what can I get away with to what can I optimize for? Because I just really understand the brevity of life. I mean, life is short. Like we're all going to die. Uh, and it's my responsibility to live my fullest life, especially now that I have a son. Like now that I have Rigel, you know, I want him to see a father figure that is disciplined, that is dedicated, that is healthy when I'm 60 years old and all of his, uh, all of his other friends, parents are, you know, got one foot in the grave. Like I don't want him to be able to say that about me. Um, and for me, you know, if you distill a higher fat, you know, single ingredient quality, wholesome, nutritious, ketogenic carnivore diet down to its simplest nature, it, it's it's pretty hard to argue that it's just simply quality foods. Like you're eating good quality foods, you're eating ample dietary fat from a nutritional standpoint, you're eating ample protein, uh, you don't need any carbohydrates. I mean, it's not a required uh, necessary macronutrient. Um, and if you have adjusted your digestive tract so you don't need that fiber either, like there's no reason to think that that is a, re a requirement. A lot of people, especially in, the, in my sector, like within natural bodybuilding, they think of themselves as being less than if they don't have these carbohydrates. They assume that they can't build muscle without carbohydrates. They assume that they can't get lean without carbohydrates. They just assume that it's not possible to compete at an elite level. So my motivation has been to just simply be a stark contrast to that common dogma and way of thinking to show that, no, 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 that's not the case. You can perform at a high level. You can get really lean. You can continue to get stronger, continue to build muscle tissue in a complete absence of carbohydrates. So not that I want to think of, you know, the ketogenic diet and being strict as I have as like my sole identity, because that's not the only thing that defines me. But so many people are now looking to me as an example of what is possible. So I feel like I owe it to them to maintain that level of adherence, which I'm proud to do because I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not doing it. Um, but I feel like wherever people are coming from in life, they need to experiment and have enough self-awareness to know what is truly working for them. I mean, I did all kinds of different diets before I landed on keto. And then when it worked as well as it did for me, I just knew that it wasn't going to be this grass is green on the other side phenomenon that I see a lot of people jumping from one to the other now. But I see so many people doing so because they never really doubled down on the diet that they're doing at that moment because they're never really giving it the time and attention to the deep to the detail that it deserves. Uh, I've always, you know, suggested that the more, uh, the, the longer you adhere to a quality ketogenic diet, the more uh, adapted your body becomes and can tap into those energy reserves, can tap into that stored 
bodily fat can tap into ketones as an energy source much more efficiently over time. So it just keeps getting better and better for me. But so many people don't ever give it that time to get to that level in the first place. So they never really tap into the full potential. Yeah, there's little cheats here and there where then people, you know, don't realize that they're constantly in the state of like in and out of ketosis and they feel pretty terrible and they don't, I think, or they're just quickly, somebody promises them join this challenge and you're going to lose 20 pounds and then they move on really quickly um, because something else looks like it might be easier. I interviewed Dr. Boz and I, I told her, so there's advocates in this space that believe that people can't stay in a ketogenic cycle long-term and they have to cycle in and out. And she just chuckled and said, I I don't have to do my job by telling people to get out of ketosis. People do it all the time on their own. It's those people that say those things often don't work with people because even if you eat a very large protein meal, you'll kick yourself out of ketosis. Or um, if you have just a large meal, there are periods in the day that you'll kick yourself out typically. And so it's almost rare that someone is truly, truly all the time, 24-7 in a strict ketogenic state. And so it was just interesting when she said that. Yeah. yeah. And for, for me, like, you know, there, there's been this this phenomenon where people were afraid to eat too much protein. And now that the exact opposite is true, people are afraid to eat. It, it's kind of funny, almost like you see so many people in the keto space pushing, you know, just a, a massive amount of protein at the expense of enough dietary fat to the point where people are almost fearful of eating dietary fat while on a ketogenic diet, um, which is just, it's just funny to me. I have to chuckle. But it's because um, six months ago they were all eating raw fat and they all gained a bunch of weight and were protein yeah. deficient and now their bodies are craving protein. So they had to swing to the other extreme now and we're pounding in lean chicken breast. Yeah. It's like people lack the awareness to recognize that the pendulum has swung too far one direction or the other and that the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Um, but you know, you see people like for me, for instance, I'll have, um, like I I try and make it so that each meal I consume has a pretty good solid dose of dietary fat and protein. Now there are times where, you know, I'm traveling or my macros are all out of, out of whack and I'll have like a bunch of shrimp for instance, and no, no dietary fat handy. So a bunch of shrimp is obviously going to be really high in protein, very lean, no, no fat hardly at all. Um, and yeah, my ketones are kind of probably going to be lower, you know, immediately post perennial of that shrimp consumption. But since I've been doing this for as strictly as I have, all those metabolic pathways are still intact. Like I'm not eating carbs. And even though I don't have as high a ketone rating, my body is still fully fat adapted and using fat as a primary fuel source. The issue that I see with people, you know, as of late is that they're pushing so much protein at the expense of dietary fat that they're not going to perform at an optimal level. Because as we all know, like protein is not a great substrate for energy. And I see so many people doing these chronic, you know, restricted, low calorie, you know, protein sparing modified fast diets as an example. And then they get addicted to that, you know, sudden acute drop in scale weight. So they continue to drop calories to the point where it's just not healthy for anybody. I mean, um, I I think it may have been when you were on my podcast, Judy, or maybe you, Laura, but we were talking about these, you know, chronic restricted diets, in which case the recommendation is to eat sub 600 calories a day for a full grown adult. I mean, the the recommended caloric intake for a six-month infant is more than that. Uh, Holocaust victims were eating more than that. So for people to suggest that that is what is optimal for you to to do to you know improve your health and well-being and, and right. lifespan and performance is just certainly far, far, far from the truth and far from necessary. I'm a big fan of accessing your body fat for energy, but not at the expense. You can't do it to that extreme at all. Yeah. I've, I found that a lot of people that are advocating for the lean proteins and then people that are following it, a lot of them are starting to have hormone issues, which is not a surprise because the steroid right. hormones need cholesterol, which is from fat. And so a lot of them then just 
it's not part of their message, but they take the evening progesterone, morning testosterone, and they take DHEA and a bunch of other hormones to balance the lack of hormones they're not getting from eating sufficient fat. I don't think, as you said, we are wired to eat protein, very minimal fat, and then zero carbs. I mean, we were never meant to eat that way. And, yeah. um, and people are going to disrupt their hormones. And then they'll blame the diet when it was actually you're eating a diet that was not a natural diet that we were intended to eat. Right. Totally. I mean, no matter what diet you're following, you have to make sure that you're consuming ample nutrition. I mean, even if you're doing a straight up vegan high carb diet, you have to make sure you're consuming ample nutrition in that diet to perform optimally from a hormonal standpoint and from a metabolic standpoint. I mean, your metabolism down regulates and depresses as your calories drop. So if you're consistently eating less than a thousand calories, you're going to have a depressed metabolic state, which is not optimal for anybody, no matter what their goals are, even if it is to lose body fat, build muscle, any of that. I have another question kind of to change the subject that in the carnivore community with this high protein and because we eat so much protein, there is this message that actually Judy and I haven't talked about because I think that you're more of an expert on this than we are, but there's this message saying that you don't actually need to exercise to build muscle, that you can just eat a lot of protein and then you'll build muscle without exercising. And I would love to do that, but I feel like I eat a lot of as much protein as I eat on a regular basis for as many years as I do without exercising, I feel like I should be more jacked than I am now uh, to be able to not exercise and just build muscle. But it's a very, it's a message that's being shared a lot right now. I honestly have not heard wow, that message that. yet. Uh, okay, so that's kind of crazy. I, I, I mean, if anything sounds too good to be true within the health and nutrition space, it probably is. Um, right. Just simply eating a bunch of protein and expecting to, to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger is probably going to sound a little too good to be true. Um, I mean, when you think of like building muscle tissue, uh, obviously you have, I mean, if you, if you distill it down to its simplest core basics, I mean, you have to have enough nutrition, enough protein. You have to have enough total calories to yield the body's ability to optimally create more tissue, whether that's fat or protein or muscle rather. And then you have to subject your body to a hormetic stress or to a stress that ideally results in a hormetic benefit. Uh, so if you're weight training, resistance training, you're demanding more of your body than it can currently give. So that results in growth. Um, I mean, you can consume protein shakes all day long and eat a caloric surplus, but if you don't weight train, you're likely just going to get fat. Yeah. So right. And I, I, where is that balance of like too much exercise or Judy and I have been talking about that, you know, hormetic stress is where, where's the balance of like building adequate muscle and then pushing yourself and the over-exercising thing that a lot of people do, or maybe that's an excuse I'm telling myself. So I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers with this one. Um, because we, we're currently living in this era of, you know, self-care, self-love, pat yourself on the yeah. back after doing the laundry. Um, the reality is it's pretty hard to overtrain. I mean, if you're consuming enough calories and enough nutrition and you're sleeping and recovering properly, then it's really hard to overtrain. Um, most people are not going to get anywhere near to that extent. Uh, yeah. Now, you if you haven't trained at all your entire life and you go do you know, seven days straight of resistance training, you're going to have something referred to as DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. And you're going to feel like you got ran over by a truck. But the best way to bypass that is just to continue training through that so that your body is able to reset that baseline of, of what is demanded of and what is normal, what it can, you know, sustainably recover from at a much higher level. Um, so you probably don't want to go from zero to hundred overnight, but if you 
you know, gradually increase the intensity, the frequency, the duration of your training, then your body will acclimate to that demand. Um, so yeah, most people are never going to have to worry about, uh, overtraining to the extent of, you know, being just wrecked like that. Now, if they're not eating enough, like if they're only yeah. eating 600 calories a day and then they're training, you know, five, six, seven times a week and very intensely, they're certainly not going to benefit from all that is to be benefited from that intense training because they're not going, I mean, eating that little is not going to allow them to recover. It's certainly not going to allow them to preserve the muscle tissue that they have or optimally build additional muscle tissue. So if you are recovering, if you are sleeping, if you are eating enough uh, and quality sources, it's really hard to overtrain. What would you say is the lowest recommended amount you would recommend people to lift? Lowest recommended? Um, I mean, anything's better than nothing. So, like, if someone is like a, a straight up couch potato, I mean, just simply walking around the yard is is a is an upgrade. Uh, so, I don't ever want to say anything that um, is just morally degrading that makes people feel like they're they're hopeless okay. and they can't do anything. Uh, I don't ever want to come across as that. But for someone that is, uh, you know, let's just assume that someone isn't really familiar with weight training and is intimidated by going to the gym and seeing all this new equipment, I certainly don't want them to feel like they cannot make progress. Um, so in that situation, like I've got several clients that are not familiar with, with, with training really. And I'll typically start them off on, you know, simply three days a week, you know, like a, a push pull leg split or an upper body, lower body mobility day, something like that, like three days a week, you know, anybody can carve that out. Uh, we can start with like half an hour of just simply body weight movements. Um, but then just progress up from there as their body acclimates. Um, to the point where they're training, you know, six, seven times a week, depending on how things are structured. Now, when they're training that frequently, you got to be kind of strategic in how you structure their split. Like you wouldn't want to do legs seven days a week because you're not really giving your body ample time to recover. But if you're taking 48 hours or so between targeting a specific muscle group, that's usually ample time to let that muscle recover before targeting it again. If people are just looking to like build strength and um, without, I think, you know, a lot of your clients are bodybuilders and people who are looking for that specific, but if people are just wanting to get stronger, um, kind of as we all age, we're looking to not lose that muscle mass as we age and to kind of just keep our vitality and our energy, you know, what are some ways that we can be like, maybe that's still the three times a week, or you think that it's necessary to like, do I have to have a leg day, an arm day, or can I just do general bodyweight exercises more than I do now, like on a regular basis um, to look at increasing muscle mass and strength? Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing with increasing muscle mass and strength is to implement some form of progressive overload. So, uh, you know, at, at, at its core, basically you're progressively overloading the demand applied to that muscle tissue. So um, a good illustration is, I don't remember who coined this, but like there was a, a, there's like an old parable about there's a rancher that had a cow and it was a cow. It was like just a little baby cow and he just carried his cow everywhere he went and he never put the cow down. He just carried his cow everywhere. But as the cow got bigger, he got stronger because he's progressively overloading his body because that cow's weight continues to increase. So as this cow's getting bigger, he's getting stronger and bigger. Same concept holds true with, with progressive overload in, you know, the resistance training department. Um, if you consistently go to the gym and you do uh, three sets of 10 on bicep curls with 10 pound weights, and that's all you ever do, you're not really giving your body reason to grow more tissue than what is necessary to move those 10 pound weights for three sets of 10. However, if you're going in there and maybe one week you're doing 15 pound dumbbells, or maybe you're doing and you know sets of 15 instead of sets of 10, or maybe you're doing four sets, or maybe you're doing longer time under tension, going slower with that rep. 
Um, any of those are forms of progressive overload that allow you to increase the intensity factor, allow more demand on that muscle, and give your body reason to build more lean tissue. Yeah, there has to be enough dietary nutrition as part of this whole process of building because um, it's just really important to make sure that we're also eating sufficiently and not just um, lifting as well. I'd like to talk a little bit about the mental side of this. Um, you, You mentioned that you struggled with some of the eating disorder behaviors and how do you make it stay consistent? Like how are you healing or healed and not ever using the behaviors that you've used before? So a lot of it for me, and I think this holds true for everybody, whether they're a competitive bodybuilder or, or, or whatnot, they just want to see progress. They want to know they have a specific goal in mind and they're making progress towards that goal. Uh, so th- I'm going to kind of answer that in two parts. And I'm going to tail off of what you said before you asked that question, which is that, you know, you have to make sure you're eating ample nutrition. Like com- people come to me, clients come to me and they say, hey, ask them what their main goal is. And they all say, you know, I want to build muscle and lose fat. Everybody wants that. Like that just sounds, that sounds perfect, right? You want to build muscle and lose fat. The thing is they kind of compete for one another. Yes, you can build muscle while simultaneously losing fat, but you're not going to optimize your muscle building potential if you're eating at a deficit. You're not going to optimize your fat loss potential if you're eating at a significant surplus. So you kind of have to break those two primary objectives into two primary objectives instead of just one. Um, So that's why I've got a building phase and I've got a cutting phase. When I'm in a building phase, I embrace a little bit more body fat gain. I know that I'm eating at a caloric surplus and having a little bit more body fat just comes with the territory. But that's a time where my metabolic rate ramps up. That's a time where my hormonal balance improves. That's a time where I get stronger and build more tissue. So there's lots of good that comes from that phase. When I'm in a cutting phase, the primary objective shifts from building more lean tissue to simply preserving as much lean tissue as possible while getting as lean and losing as much adipose tissue as possible. And I feel like a lot of people fail to separate those, and then they kind of just stay in purgatory at all times, kind of like they do with their nutrition. They're constantly bouncing from one nutritional protocol to another. They never really optimize for the one they're in. The same same concept holds true with regard to body recomposition. So knowing that and knowing that I've got a specific goal to continue getting better and better and better with each year that passes – I can be much more strategic in making the most out of my building phases and making the most out of my cutting phases. And because I can quantify that and see progress year after year, whether that is getting stronger or getting leaner or whatever my goal is at the time, I'm able to adhere to my dietary protocol and lifestyle that much better because I am getting tangible feedback every year that passes that I am in fact improving. And I feel like if people don't have some tangible, you know, proxy for progress, it's much easier to you know, derail and, and deviate. Whereas if they're seeing legitimate progress year after year after year, then it's much easier to, to stay the course and know that they're doing something that's worthwhile for them. Do you think then it requires a lot of tracking? Because I'm assuming that if you lift and you notice you're lifting more, it's it would require tracking. And then also from the building versus the cutting, you would have to know that you're eating more quantifiably versus when you're cutting and you're probably eating a little less. Yeah. So I, when I'm in a cut, I, I track everything nutritionally. Like I mean, I track everything, every, every gram, but I don't do that year round because that would, for me, would not be as sustainable. Um, when I'm in a, when I'm focusing on my, my metrics from a lifting standpoint, I don't track all my lifts. Like a lot of people do and they prefer that they're tracking total volume. They're tracking, you know, reps, sets, weight, 
PRs, you know, rate of perceived exertion, all that stuff. I prefer to, to train much more intuitively, but I'll have certain proxies for progress with regards to my primary compound movement. So I'll look at my squat, deadlift, bench press, and overhead press. And if I'm able to lift more weight, you know, consistently over time, or that weight is lifted easier, then I can feel pretty confident that I am, in fact, gaining more lean muscle tissue and improving my overall physique. And when I'm in a cut, I track everything, but you don't have to. Um, like, like I said, most people are not going to be stepping on stage. So like if they're simply looking in the mirror or they're taking some measurements on like a biweekly basis, that would be a pretty good proxy for progress to, to know that they're moving and trending in the right direction. But honestly, you know, a mirror really is, is one of the, the best sources of information because you can look in the mirror and after you start to, to recognize what you're looking for, you can tell you know, okay, I'm bringing up this area of my body. I'm, I'm putting on a little bit more lean tissue on my, my quads. Or if I'm leaning out, I, I can notice more vascularity and separation in my muscles that I, I didn't see two weeks ago. I mean, I've got things that into the point where I can start to see certain, you know, veins and shoulder caps. And I know at what body fat percentage I'm at based off of where these veins are over my body and at what level of detail I'm seeing them at. One of the things I think is important for like making this a lifestyle is just understanding, like understanding what are your restrictions? What's your non-negotiables? I'm, we talk a lot here around here about like your non-negotiables. I think when people focus on diet, exercise, intermittent fasting, like, and they have 10 things that are like rules for them. Then when, you know, life throws you a curveball, sometimes we throw all those things out the window because I can't, I was, I failed. I didn't hit my intermittent fasting window today. So like everything else just goes out the window. Um, I'm a big believer in focusing on like, what's the one non-negotiable thing. And then where do you give yourself some flexibility based on life? And, um, so I'm curious for you, like you've been doing this for so long. You, you have obviously non-negotiables, things that you stay very strict on. Um, but where are some things that you're like, what is your non-negotiables that no matter what you will adhere to that? And then where do you allow yourself to have some flexibility if you're on vacation? Like, where do you chill out a little bit in terms of like the health lifestyle, I guess? Yeah. Um, I love the the concept of non-negotiables. I feel like that is is a really solid, you know, you got to have like a solid foundation to build yeah. from. And I feel like everybody needs non-negotiable. That's going to look different for everybody, but I feel like having them yeah. is key. Uh, so for me, like I have not deviated from a ketogenic diet. I haven't had a carb-based meal in the seven plus years I've been doing this. So, you know, I use an example of add, add a bunch of shrimp in a meal, just shrimp. You know, that that's not really an ideal ketogenic meal per se, but I haven't deviated to the point of eating bread or eating rice or eating anything that's predominantly carb-based in the seven plus years I've been doing this. And that's honestly felt really effortless for me. Like I don't really feel like I'm missing anything. When I first started, I would have more of these keto uh, sweets. Like we would make keto cheesecake and whatnot to act as stepping stones until I'd been doing the diet long enough that I no longer needed those stepping stones. And if somebody needs that, then, you know, more power to them. Um, but non-negotiables for me really just depend on where I'm at and what, uh, you know, my primary goal is. So if I'm in a cut, if I'm, if I have a competition day on the calendar and I'm competing on stage against other competitors, I have a lot more non-negotiables. Like I, I meal prep my macros, uh, for the week. I'll, I'll prep our crystal. I mean, uh, she, she's the angel here. Uh, she'll prep <laughs> all my macros, all my meals for the week. And then I will not deviate from that. Like everything is already ready to go. It's all prepared. It's in Tupperware. It's laid out. It's labeled. There's no reason to deviate. There's no reason to make excuses because I've got my Tupperware. I've got my meal. 
Uh, I don't like crystal. It. It's probably glass. Okay. She's not using actual plastic Tupperware. Oh yeah. It's, it's sure. So yeah, everything's good there. Um, and then when I'm in a building phase, my non-negotiable is pretty much just to make sure I'm eating enough calories and enough protein, obviously con- continuing to hit uh, ketogenic macro distribution on those foods, but uh, ma- basically making sure I'm eating enough total calories uh, and enough protein to, to maximize that building phase. But I'll get creative with where those foods are coming from. I'll get creative with, you know, if we want to go out to eat, I'll make that work within the realm of what my goals are. Much more lax with the building phase. A lot of people make the mistake of taking the building phase as an off season to the point of they just let everything go out the window. And then you have a lot more work, you know, set out for you when it's time to, to ratchet things back in and get things dialed in. So I try to make the building phase very productive. Uh, I'm never de- deviating from, you know, the ketogenic diet. I'm never deviating from my training, um, you know, but I'll be able to be much more flexible with when things are happening, what foods I'm consuming and just make it more sustainable in that building phase. And honestly, by giving myself that little bit more flexibility, I'm able to be that much more strict when it counts because I don't feel like I'm going to get burned out because I'm not doing it year round. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. Being able to say I'm still carnivore or I'm still ketogenic for you. And then yet I'm not feeling like it's effort all the time. You know, if I go on vacation, I'm going to stick to being carnivore, but I might eat way more often eat a little more snacky stuff, have some more processed meats and cheeses, like things that I wouldn't normally do. So then when I come home, it's like, okay, now it's time to get dialed back in again, you know, and tighten yeah, and up think, a little bit. I think that is, I mean, everyone's going to have that look a little bit different for them, but I think giving yourself that grace is super important. Um, but also knowing when it's time to, to ratchet things in and not letting yourself just be willy nilly yeah. at all times. I mean, the thing, the beauty of me being able to have that flexibility in the building phase is because I am as strict as I am in the cutting phase. I mean, like we all went out to eat and we got steaks that one time and that was great. Like I didn't, I didn't track that. I didn't, I didn't whip out the food scale and put the steak on there and see exactly what I was consuming. But had I been in a prep during that, that trip, rest assured, I would have had my Tupperware. I'd have been pulling that out of my bag and I'd have been just eating my cold Tupperware while y'all were chowing down on ribeyes. Like that's just what it takes Yeah, for me. And I think most people, like you said, aren't willing to go that extreme. So we can't be, I mean, I lived in a building phase for 30 years before I started eating this way. But that to me was just obviously nowhere near, like not strict. So I have to be, I feel like I need to be more extreme now because I'm making up for a longer period of time when I spent being unhealthy. Yeah. I think a lot of people struggle, though, is that they don't have the ability to stay strict for seven years. And even if it's they have the non-negotiables, it's just maybe their relationship with food is that emotionally at the end of the night, they'll turn to food, whether it's, oh, I had a stressful day, I just want to relax with it, or they're stressed and so then they turn to it. And so sometimes it's an escape. It's they overeat so that then they're exhausted and they don't have to think about whatever is going on in their life. How do we and this is open to all of us, but how do we have people shift from struggling? And that's why then they just start blaming the diet of, you know, maybe this diet isn't the right one for me because I can't stay consistent. Maybe I need to go do something else. And maybe just having them really truly implement these non-negotiables so that they can be pretty successful long-term. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, so this was honestly one of the, the big topics of my KetoCon presentation. And it's like, I'm never going to appeal to the masses in the sense of, you know, everybody can do 
I mean, let's see how I word this. Uh, the people well, listen, that I we know, everybody can't do what you do. And I'm <laughs> sure people say to you on a regular basis, like, I could never be that distraught. I could never be so disciplined. How do you get, how do you find motivation is probably something that people say to you on a regular basis. Yeah. But like the thing is, I mean, when I look at, I, I don't view myself as having some innate specialty that other people can't, you know, like anybody can do what I've done. Like I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I didn't have anything. I didn't have any handouts. Like there's nothing inherently unique about what it is that I'm doing. Like anybody has the power to do it. Uh, the thing is that most people don't feel empowered. They don't have that confidence. They lack that self-awareness. They don't have that desire to live like that. But when I look at at other people in life that are on the next level, that they're, they're on the tier that I want to get to. Those are the people that are very strict with certain things, whether that's their business endeavors, with that their training. Like when I look at all the elites in any given field, they do things that the masses are not willing to do. Um, and, and they'll be the first to also say, look, there's not anything special about me. I'm not some superhuman that's been gifted all these strengths. Like I'm just a human that has a desire to excel and, and feel empowered by that. And my message has been, look, I'm Robert Sykes, the Keto Savage, but I am not the only Keto Savage. Like anybody can be a savage with anything they desire to put their their heart, mind, and soul and body into. Um, and for me, that's manifested itself in simply staying strict and adhering to a ketogenic diet for you know indefinitely and continuing to to benefit from all that, that provides. Um, but I mean, that could be something totally different for other people. But when it comes to nutrition, I mean, that's something that we all are going to to, to do in some form or fashion every single day. Like we all have to eat something every single day unless we're doing extended fast and we want to get into semantics there. So that's a very tangible, actionable thing that people can say, hey, look, this is who I am. This is what I do. And this is what I'm going to, to do and how my life is going to look in order to reach this goal. Um, so for me, it's been honestly really easy. Like I went from, and honestly, I think I got in it at the right time too. Like when I got into the keto space, what I was doing was incredibly new and unique. And I feel like that, that newness, uh, factor gave me excitement because it, it made me feel like I was on the cutting edge of something that was going to be a really big thing for people that are getting into the space now, they're getting a very mixed message of, you know, they've got certain people that say, Hey, look, this is, this is the way to go. You got other people that say, look, that's the worst thing for you. It's going to kill you. Uh, but I feel like so many people are so, you know, convoluted with the messaging out there that they've not learned or forgotten how to simply look inwardly and figure out what is their true feedback and how it makes them feel. If they simply do just that, you know, and, and allow, like didn't change every variable at once, but simply adhere to something you know, and change one variable at a time, like any good scientist conducting an experiment would do, they would recognize that, hey, look, their body is benefiting from the removal of all these processed junk foods, uh, from the removal of all these sugars and carbohydrates and, and Cokes. Uh, and then they would realize that, hey, look, this, this may actually be a good thing for me. Let me double down on this and, and just do something that I know to be good for me. And then that becomes something that they can find momentum in. And that momentum and that progress, kind of like we were saying earlier, is what yields the desire and the empowerment to keep doing it for the long haul. I definitely would be concerned with myself had I started this now versus four years ago. Like I agree with you. I got so lucky that I started carnivore before it got so confusing. And before there were so many voices, you know, when I started sharing, there was nobody else really sharing the way that we do now, right. The way that we all do now, there was a few big names, obviously, who were on some podcast, but there wasn't this like daily barrage of people like me sharing a thousand different messages online. And I think 
Like I'm afraid I would have gone down the rabbit hole of looking for the quick way to lose weight and bouncing around as well. And I'm so thankful that I kind of felt like I got my feet under me before things got really complicated. Um, And I think that's why I've changed my message so much in the last year or so of just trying to like get people to figure that out, figure out their own individual um, path. Um, But I, I think at some point people, the second thing that you said is like, at some point I just had to decide like, this is the decision that I had to just get my crap together. And I had to decide that like, I was going to stop. Like I am not a naturally motivated person. I don't wake up and think that like, I'm going to magically want to do all these things and not cheat and like not have carbs. And I don't think anybody is. I think that's kind of your point is like, we all just, just no magic gene in people that makes them more motivated than others. I think at some point, when people are saying, how do you stop cheating? How do I stop giving into food? Like at some point you just have to decide that you're not going to do that anymore. And there's healing that might need to happen. And there's root cause things that you need to focus on. But at some point I had to listen to the podcast of the people telling me, stop eating. You will not die. Like just stop eating because I knew that it was an emotional thing. And I had to just, I had to stop doing it. And it was literally just me making that decision because I had enough and I didn't want to feel like that anymore. And I didn't want to go through that. And so I think that's the part that people don't want to hear is that there's no magic moment. It's literally just, you have to get it together. I feel like there's so many parallels with, with everything in life. Like, like what I've learned in, in my bodybuilding endeavors, what I've learned with my nutritional you know, endeavors, what I've learned in business, like there's so much commonality between all these different facets. And like in business, uh, you know, people, people want to have financial freedom. People want to live life on their own terms. Yet the majority of the people out there are working uh, a job that they don't like. They feel unfulfilled in that job. They're, they're going home and they're binging on Netflix because that's where they find relief. And then they, they knock me for foregoing these Netflix binges. They knock me for not going out and partying it up and you know boozing it up on the weekends with the with the with the guys, and then they wonder why I break free of this cycle that they're in. Yeah. And the same is true with nutrition. Like if you look at the people that are knocking you for doing things and for being disciplined and for having a dedicated path, you know, ask yourself: Do you want to emulate the life that they are living? If I was to look at all these people that are haters and naysayers towards me, I damn sure don't want to live the life they're living. Like I don't want to have the life that their, their life is. So I have to do something out of the norm. I have to do something extreme to break into that next tier of my own capabilities. But then when you do that enough times, you gain this overwhelming sense of confidence that you can truly craft whatever life you want for yourself. You can truly craft whatever physique you want for yourself. You can truly craft whatever definition of health you so desire. And once you have that confidence, that self-awareness and that desire to put in the work to get there, you become unfreaking stoppable. And that's just the main message I want people to buy into because they all have that within themselves to do. They just have to believe themselves enough and then put in the work to make it a reality. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, I read a book by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. It was before Atomic Habits had come out. And he talks about the keystone habits where essentially you have a one one or two main habits that then bleed into the rest of your life. And for me, that was nutrition. So I've always been driven. I've always done well and excelled. But with my lack of nutrition, 
when I was plant-based, there were days I'd binge and purge and I would end up doing nothing that day. And so in my head, I wanted to do all these things, but I physically, mentally, emotionally could not get anything done. And once I ended up finding keto and carnivore and really healing my relationship with food, and once I really dialed into nutrition and that ended up becoming my healing journey for the rest of my habits. So then it became easier to get things done the next day that I was driven to do. And that's when I learned that nutrition was so important for me with my keystone habits of if my nutrition is dialed in and I don't eat a bunch of carbs, even if I'm free and I can do it, um, I feel my best being in a ketogenic state. And if I eat that way, then it bleeds into everything. Then I have the energy to exercise. I have the ability to hang out with my kids. I could produce content as nutrition with Judy and et cetera. But when that nutrition is not dialed in, I see the habits start to all get loose around it. And I think it comes down to everything you're both saying is you have to find your non-negotiable. You have to eventually start saying, I am not going to eat this today, no matter how hard it is. But get very regimented in whatever you're trying to do, whether it's nutrition, whether it's finances, and then you keep going and eventually all that hard work will pay off and you'll see the the blessings from it. And I think, uh, you know, Robert, you see it, Laura, you do, and I definitely do in my life as well. And it wasn't easy to get here, but now that I'm here and things are kind of consistent, I, I see the fruit in it and I, I work harder than ever, but it's very worth all of it. And I wish people can can do that, can find their keystone habit. And I really believe nutrition is a lot of it for most people. And once they find it, to really adhere to it and and then see the blessings that they can achieve in their life. Totally agree. And I love that. We, we as a species do not rise to the level of our ambitions. We fall to the level of our habits. Uh, and if you, I mean, we all desire financial freedom. We all desire to have six pack abs and look great naked. But you see very few people actually achieving that look because those habits are not in place. We do not rise to our ambitions. We fall to our habits. And if your habits are solid habits, and for me, you know, I go through ebbs and flows. I go through highs and lows just like everybody. But if I've got my nutrition dialed in and that's a non-negotiable, and if I've got my, you know, exercise dialed in and that's non-negotiable, I've got a solid foothold in which I can claw my way out of the hell that I find myself in at any given point. Uh, Whereas if I didn't have that, if I didn't have that solid base, then I truly would be in this like, you know, dark black abyss. Um, But since I have those as just a a non-negotiable baseline, I've always got at least some firm footing to improve my current state. And I love this concept of, uh, I mean, I'm really focusing now on like, what's the life that I want to live? The three of us are all very, you know, we all focus on these non-negotiables. We're very dialed in with our diets, but yet we live three very different lives. And I think that we are all striving for this ideal life. And that looks very different. I'm sure there are people, Robert, who look at you and say, like, I don't want to live this life. Like, I have no interest in being a bodybuilder, but but I have my own ideal life. So I love this exercise that you're having um, your team do of like, what does your ideal day look like? And I think it's like, what are we doing in our day that's building us towards this ideal life? Um, And how, how are we helping ourselves get one step closer to that? And I think we have to, we can't decide like, I'm going to follow this specific thing because this person on the internet told me to follow it. It's the, is this helping me drive towards what my ideal life looks like? And am I, living each day, driving towards that. And I think that's, um, so important. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's paramount. Like it's key. I mean, the, the, the power of compounding, uh, actions, you know, I mean, look at like your, your, 
you know, investments in, in uh, like the stocks. I mean, the, the, the value of compounding interest is, is profound. The value of compounding actions throughout your day-to-day life is equally, if not more so, profound. Um, so really doubling down on that and, and knowing that you're making incremental progress day after day after day is key. I mean, we talk about me not having any superpowers. That's true. But if I was to have a superpower, it would be my unwavering ability to just figure out what you know, tiny little minute detail I can do every single day to move the needle that much closer. And that's what I do. Like I, I do not deviate from that, whether that's, you know, staying strict to keto, whether that is, is getting a workout in, whether that is doing something in the business to move the business one step closer to the desired outcome, you know, finding something that is just uncomfortable, finding something that I have to sacrifice, finding something that is, you know, the next level that many people are not willing to do and just simply doing it without fail. Like that, that has been the reason I've been able to find the success that I have in life thus far. Every night I finish the night by doing my daily checklist for the next day of what things do I need to get done? What are the big rocks? And I don't deviate from that. And and no matter what, so Kevin will always, my husband will always say, you know, like, let's come to bed or come watch a movie. And I'm like, wait, I have to do these. And that has allowed me to stay consistent every single day. And before, five years ago, that was being carnivore every single day. Right. And now diet is never on that list anymore. Now it's, you know, other things for nutrition with Judy or my children. And if people can just dial into their win the days or non-negotiables or whatever that is for the day, and then don't deviate from that as much as possible, then they can see the benefits from the compounding interest, as you mentioned. Yeah, so important. So how important do you think then the people you surround yourself with or your community aspect, or I think, you know, I'm just such a believer in like what you consume is what's going, how that's going to affect you. And so if we're constantly watching the drama on the internet, or if we're surrounding ourselves with people who um, are telling us that this way of eating is going to give us a heart attack, like those types of things like are, I think, so counterintuitive to, or like you said, if you had a bunch of friends and the people that you were hanging out with were constantly trying to get you to go out drinking with them and partying with them, um, it would likely affect your I'm, you probably wouldn't let it, but most people it's going to affect like their personal <laughs> output. Yeah. I mean, we've all heard the cliche saying, which there is certainly some truth in is that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, and that's been tossed around so much that it's lost a lot of its, you know, glory because people have heard so frequently, but there is definitely some truth in that. And I feel like, you know, you have to surround yourself with people that are better than you that are on the next level, uh, whenever possible. And that encourage and inspire you in, you know, make you want to to do more. Like I don't like being the biggest guy in the gym. So I joined a gym with bigger guys than me that are stronger than me because that pushes me. I don't like being, uh, you know, the, the most successful business person in the room. So I joined a mastermind group so that I'm with people that are making a lot more and a lot more efficiently than I am so that I can next level up on that as well. Um, there's all these different areas of my life that I feel are all interconnected, intertwined. And as I work on one, it benefits the whole. And that was honestly another one of my big takeaways with, with the KetoCon presentation is that my life, in my my view, is viewed through this lens of uh, tensegrity rather than balance. Like I don't believe in the uh, traditional sense of the word balance because by definition, if, if everything is perfectly balanced, like if you have a scale that's perfectly dialed in, zeroed in, balanced, the value is zero. You know, I don't want my life's value to be zero. Uh, And I also don't want me working on one thing to result in the decline of something else that I hold in high regard. So everything in my life, generally speaking, benefits the whole. If I'm spending one time in this pillar of my life, it's benefiting the whole in some form or fashion. 
there's ebbs and flows in that, in the sense that, you know, I can't always focus hundred percent on one thing, uh, cause I can't focus hundred percent on all things at once, but everything is continuing to move in the right direction and the overarching goal. And I feel like when you're able to, to view your life with intentionality and purpose, it's much easier to figure out what it is and is not adding value. And, you know, a, a, a perfect example is for me, you know, not eating quality food or eating, eating poor foods is not adding any value. Binging on Netflix, not adding any value. Spending time with people that are happy to continue to, you know, not want to get better, not adding any value. I've cut people out of my life. I've cut things out of my life. I've cut, you know, activities out of my life that are not moving my life's needle forward. And it's hard to do that sometimes. I mean, one of my best friends, you know, we, we had a pretty rocky patch uh, when I really started the business because, you know, we, we lived in different states and, and he needed me to be the friend that he had had previously, which yeah. was the one that would drink with him on the weekends. And I'm like, look, man, that's not who I am anymore. This is where I'm going. If you continue to, you know, expect this, I mean, you're going to be let down. Uh, and I mean, we, we almost t- severed that relationship multiple times, but now he's in a chapter in his life where he's also trying to get next level. And he understands why I had to do the things that I did in that chapter. And now we're closer than ever for it. Uh, so like when you surround yourself with people that are trying to improve yourself, it goes like there's just this understood vibe in the room. Like, like the three of us, we can all sit at a dinner, have steaks together, and we don't have to explain why we think the way we think because it's all just innately understood because we're all trying to improve our, our livelihood, our existence, and our fellow human. Yeah, I was interviewing. I started a new corporate job lately, which, um, and I was interviewing, and part of the interview processes, I was working with two different companies, and part of the interview processes, you were interviewing with who would be your peers, um, the, the people that would be on my team. And I interviewed with one company and I just, I got off that call and I was like, this is going to be me trying to teach them how to better the department. And like, I'm going to be pulling them up the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed with the other company and I just got off that call and I was like, whoa, those guys are going to make me better. Like I need to step up my game to be like, I felt like, you know, like I don't, this is, why would they hire me? Like I need to step up harder. And so I ended up not moving forward. Like I chose to not continue on with the other company because I was like, if I can't work for this company, that's going to make me better then like that, then clearly the other one is not the right place. And so I, I ended up getting hired and this is where I'm at now. And this is, um, that's part of my message to them is like, I'm here because I think, you know, I know that they can make me better. Um, and that's my goal. Yeah, it's awesome. What I hear from all of us is we have these non-negotiables or things that we try to stay consistent with. And then from there, we also challenge ourselves to grow from there. As all of you are bringing up the job and um, joining like masterminds, ever since KetoCon, you know, I'm very structured and I like to get things done. And so Laura recommended, why why don't you join improv? And that scares the bejesus out of me. But on Wednesday, I'm going to my first improv class and I'm not looking forward to it, but I want to challenge myself to be okay with not being perfect, right? Um, Being okay with not putting my best foot forward and experiencing just whatever is going in the moment. And so I think that's another part of this growth is you'll only be where you are if you choose to never, you know, push yourself further. And one of my mentors in the past told me that if you think of everybody in your life as these boats and you're all going out to sea, but eventually people will anchor at a certain part of the the ocean or the lake or wherever and say, I'm good here and I want to see the sun setting right here. 
but you may want to go further out and you'll realize, well, either you choose to anchor where you don't want to, or you continue going and you may be a lot further out and you may be alone, but eventually you'll find other boats out there that may not have started with you, but you just have to accept as part of life, there will be people that will anchor earlier. And you have to decide, are you going to live a life because they chose to anchor for there? Or are you going to go further out where you really want to go? And that has been a very hard pill to swallow. But I, I see as I age and I get older and with my family, I know that's true. And I don't have a lot of my friends that I grew up with anchoring out with me as I go further. But I have to accept that this is life. And, you know, maybe God has bigger things for us to do in our life. Um, but it's not easy. And, and just as a side note, the, I kept hearing when I first had my kids, the, the I'm the best of the five that I'm with. And I'm like, Oh, no, I'm with two young kids. And so the average of me is so horrible. I think hey, I bet those kids are making your average better. <laughs> right, exactly. They bring the best out of you. Um, I, I think it is this interesting cultural moment where we focus so much on like being happy. And it seems like everybody's goal is like, I need to be happy in the moment that it's turned into this like very toxic, positive. I'm just, I'm all about like calling out positive, too much positivity as being toxic for you. Or like thinking that like, I have to be happy all the time. Like what a selfish thing to say is that it's about my personal happiness or, you know, I think you know, like you both have just mentioned, you truly don't grow and change until you experience challenge and hardships. And whether that's with your muscles or with your, you know, work life or your personal life, like it's not until we say, no, I will not give myself this moment of happiness, which is a cupcake, because I am determined to have something better. Um, And I think we have to just stop living our lives for our own personal happiness in the moment and realizing that long-term sustainability and growth is the true happiness. Yeah. I think growth and progress, I mean, for me, certainly that, that is what creates a sense of fulfillment and happiness in my life. Like like I could have a whole bunch of money in the bank account. I could have, you know, the perfect physique. I could have, you know, the, the picture Instagram worthy, you know, everything. And if I wasn't doing anything that yeah. was bettering me, I would not feel happy. Like that would not feel like progress to me. Um, and I was talking to Crystal just the other day, like we've we got a whole bunch of stresses going on right now with the company. Like there's a million things going on. Like, like I'm constantly running around like my hair's on fire, but I was talking to her and I'm like, you know, this is total chaos, but what if it doesn't get any better than this? Like, what if this is just our reality? Like, would you be okay with that? Like, would you be okay of this being our day to day, our life, our existence? And she was like, uh, maybe <laughs> like so I don't think she was always on board with it as me. And there's certain things that we definitely want to achieve in certain baselines we want to set. Like she wants to have animals. She wants to do the homesteading thing. We haven't gotten there yet. So that, that will be something that she needs. But I don't think the, the picture perfect, you know, end of it, there's no end to it all. Like yeah. it ends when you're dead. So the, the goal should be to find what progress, what process, what day-to-day actions, what habits you can sink your teeth into every single damn day without fault and be happy to do so. Yeah. And I promise the quick 20 pound weight loss that you think is holding you back from like living your best life and being happier is not it. Like you have to find a way to just live your life every day in a way that you want to live. And then doing the things that you mentioned, making yourself 1% better, making, focusing on, you know, every day, your non-negotiables, that's where the long-term sustainability weight loss comes. And then you're also 
enjoying your life in the meantime um, and not just waiting to be happier when you lose the weight or hit this certain goal or get to a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, I I would, you really have to protect what's coming into your head, your ears, your eyes, and your heart, because essentially social media has a lot of power in terms of knowledge, in terms of community to an extent. But afterward, I mean, there's just so many studies that show that being on social media long, long term will cause comparisons and jealousy and depression. And I barely stay on social media. I think on average, I spend 20 minutes a day and it's very little. And I've noticed that even myself and I've protected myself from social media for over a year, but there's no comparison there. I don't know what's going on. I know I live under a rock in a sense sometimes, but I'm producing way more. I know that I'm achieving these things behind the scenes for the community, for my clients, and I'm better for it instead of, wow, that person has lost weight and like, what are they doing? How come I'm not then yet? Or, you know, there's less of this, well, so-and-so is doing this. Maybe I should try that. Or so-and-so selling this shiny thing. Maybe I should try that. And instead it's, what do I need to do every day for me to improve my life? And so I really think once people know what diet they want to follow, whether they follow a book or a podcast or uh, something on social media afterward, just turn it all off. I, I really think there's sometimes too much harm that comes with staying on social media for too long. Mm-hmm. Then there's benefit. And I don't know how both of you feel about that, but I have seen a bigger lever of healing for me personally by being on social media less. Yeah. I feel like, um, I'm a huge advocate for stoic philosophy, stoic thinking. Like I love, you know, the, the stoics, like I just love it. Like I'm reading a stoic book on Marcus Aurelius right now. Um, I mean the obstacles, the way by Ryan holidays, I listen to that on repeat when I'm in a prep. Uh, but one of the overarching themes with stoic philosophy is to, you know, be not necessarily emotionless, but to be very, specific in how you let your environmental factors dictate your actions and your thoughts and, and, and view towards your environment. So like as a classic example, 2020, 2021, 2022, everybody's been totally in an uproar about the pandemic, about all the racial stuff, about all the riots. I mean, all the politics, there's been so many things to allow yourself to, to go down the rabbit hole with on social media and on major news networks. Um, but if you ask yourself, there's, I mean, you don't want to be ignorant, like you don't want to be so ignorant to the world that you have no clue what's going on. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, is knowledge of these things happening going to influence my day-to-day decisions at all? And if the answer is no, what benefit comes from you having that taking up your mental bandwidth to begin with? Um, if it's not going to dictate your actions, then why let it dictate your thoughts and time in the first place? So for me, if it's not something that, that is going to influence my actions or my, my views or my thoughts or how I inter, inter work with, you know, my fellow human being, then I don't have time for it. Like, I don't care. Like, I would rather focus on things that will have a direct impact on my own life, the, the, the lives of the people I'm close to and the lives of those around me. Um, so for most people, it's probably not going to come from scrolling on Instagram for hours on end to see what everybody else is doing or spending hours on end watching mainstream news networks. Like it's, it's going to come from putting the head down, putting the blinders on and getting to work on your own personal life and offering value to others through what you're able to do. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. And that's, I think that message alone and the conversation that we have is exactly why we felt like, you know, you'd be a great person to have on. Um, and we're, we're so grateful for your time today and for your message that you share. And I think like we all live very different lives. And I said that earlier, you eat completely differently than I do. And Judy and I and are different. And I think it's all about figuring out, you know, 
what works for you, and also how can you live your best life um, in the most sustainable, healthy way. And I think that's really the goal that we all are trying to share. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Thank you, Robert, for coming on. I um I always say this, but I truly, truly respect you from mm-hmm. day one of listening to you before I was even nutrition with Judy. You've always stayed so consistent, so honest, so yeah. real. And honestly, it's very difficult to find on the internet. Um, so I appreciate you and everything you're doing. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate y'all. I mean, within that group of the the people that we want to spend time with and level up with, I definitely put both of y'all in that inner circle in my mind. Uh, I feel like y'all both doing great work, have the right outlook and the right views towards everything. Um, So keep doing exactly what you're both doing. Same to you. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in to the cutting against the grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.